Before we get to our guest, a quick message from our sponsor. Back in June of 2020, I had COVID and I still have long COVID. And one of the symptoms of long COVID is insomnia. I'll wake up at two or three in the morning and can't get back to sleep for two or three, four hours. And it kind of ruins the whole day next day because you don't have any energy. So what did I do? I called Mike Lindell at my pillow and I got the entire sleep system. I have the mattress topper. I have the Giza sheets, which my colleague Christine Dolan says are regal. I have the my pillow, the my pillows themselves, and I have the comforter, which feels like a grandmother's house. It's so warm and cozy, and I have the regal duvet cover on on top of this comforter. So I have the entire sleep system. I literally work all day long. I'm exhausted. I lay down in this sleep system and literally just wake up the next morning. It's amazing how well I sleep. I, I can't get can't wait to get back to it. So what can you do? You can go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CDM and get the best discounts that Mike has to offer right now for the entire sleep system. But don't just get the sleep system. If you're buying household products, make sure to check with Mike Lindell first, promo code CDM to get the best prices. He has over 600 products. Don't go shop at the corporate communists and the big box retailers. Go to Mike first. Support the patriotic movement, support free media at CDM. Use promo code CDM at mypillow.com to get the best discounts and sleep really well going forward. And now let's get to our guest. Good morning, everybody. We had a couple of technical problems there, but welcome to uh, in our global show in plain sight. And I am thrilled beyond anything to have Sasha Latipova with us. Welcome, Sasha. Hi, Christine. Thank you for inviting me. Well, listen, I am I'm so excited because um, when you sent me your research, uh, my job is to pull out of you in layman's terms what our audience needs to know, because most of our audience probably are not scientists or doctors, they're lay people and they're people from all over the world. So this is great. Um, your background is fascinating. You're originally from Ukraine. You're an American citizen. You came over here in the 1990s. You went to Dartmouth to get your MBA. And you are somebody that I have been looking for because I've been talking to people on the inside of Pfizer, the inside of FDA that are scared to death to come out and to speak out the way that you have. And you have done clinical trial studies as an entrepreneur and businesswoman for over 60 pharmas uh, all over the globe for the, for the last 25 years. And you've also worked with on the inside for Pfizer mm -hmm. as well as um, working with the inside of FDA overseeing clinical trials. So you are somebody that is a blessing, as far as I'm concerned, an angel to have on this show. So I don't know exactly where to begin because your, your research is so, your analysis, I should say, of the Pfizer uh, shots is so extraordinary because with, with your background, you know what you're looking for. You know the right questions to ask. Matter of fact, you're the person that every politician across the world, as far as I'm concerned, should be talking to because you know exactly what they have done in the past and what they're doing now and whether or not it's acceptable, neg negligible, or possibly even criminal because of intentional fraud. So welcome. So let's begin with... Um, what caught your eye? Because uh, you're you're no longer you're no longer in the business per se. You you've been in the business. What caught your eye when you started looking? And we're this show. I should remind everybody we're just doing it on Pfizer this week. We're focused strictly on Pfizer. We're going to do more shows with you about some about some of the other vaccinations and and probably more to, more to, uh, shows on on Pfizer as this thing unrolls. What caught your eye? Well, um, from the very beginning of this uh, so-called pandemic, 
I became suspicious because of what was going on with suppression of hydroxychloroquine and early treatments. And for uh, professionals, it was so obvious uh, that this was wrong and against practice of medicine, against ethical standards, all sorts of things. And so that immediately raised flags. And I, um, you know, I, if I retired from the industry for a few years and I wasn't, you know, doing anything active. Um, but then somebody uh, told me that in the VAERS system, which is Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System maintained by CDC and FDA, uh, they do track uh, vaccine lot numbers. As you know, lot numbers, uh, manufacturing lot number, any mass produced product or medicine, they have lot numbers and you can see them on the, on the shelves. Uh, and, the and also when people were getting their shots, they received a receipt and it would say the lot number, the batch number on, on their receipt. Yeah, on the CDC card, they would write mm -hmm. it down. Uh, and so somebody said, oh, you know, they track the adverse events and the, that lot number information is there. There is a field. Um, and I went and I started looking and I was immediately shocked. Well, first of all, everyone, uh, again, in, in, the in the honest professional group, which is few people, uh, as you know, speaking through alternative media, immediately uh, raised alarms that how, how many adverse events are being reported right away. Huge numbers, huge numbers. Nothing like this happened ever, ever before in the history. So all of us were alarmed. But um, myself and, and a couple of my uh, collaborators, we were the first ones who noticed that not only there are huge adverse events, but also they vary so much um, by lot number. So every lot number looked not like the previous lot number. Um, they were either, you know, humongous numbers, like thousands of adverse events and deaths, uh, or almost nothing, zero or one. Um, and that just cannot be. Like, you, you cannot have a product manufactured under good manufacturing practices and the laws that we have for safety. Uh, and it's not just safety of the product, it's safety how it's manufactured, right? Right. Uh, so uh, we have all these laws on the books that govern that so that mass-produced products are consistent and with good quality. Uh, and that comes from pharmaceuticals. It's very, very strict. So um, let's, let's talk about that because in your research, there's a couple of things I didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, the identity, the quantity, the quality, the purity, the potency is, is mm -hmm. sort of the, 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 stand, the standards. But I, what I didn't know is that there's there's several different types of mRNA that have been found within Pfizer, all right? Mm -hmm. So it, this is not a consistent product. And then what I learned from your research is that at every step of the way of manufacturing and putting this together, it's not just at the end of the batch mm -hmm. that they have to do a safety analysis, but every time that they have an input of a product I'm using pro the word product just loosely here, but an element, let's just say a mm -hmm. to it, that has to be analyzed as well. So, I mean, that's the standard procedure. Mm -hmm. And from your, your analysis, that wasn't consistently done. Right. So there, uh, it's a hugely complex manufacturing process, hugely complex. So people need to understand that um, there are dozens of steps. They involve biological materials, chemicals, um, input materials, bacterial cultures, all sorts of things that go into making of these products and the different steps that the manufacturer has to take. It's incredibly complex. And then at each step, you have to um, essentially, once you produce some step and you say, in this bucket, I have this following output. Well, you actually have to test and show that you do indeed have that output. It's characterized. And then all the impurities that might possibly end up there from your previous manufacturing steps are gone. Okay. And, and so I've received those documents and I'm still in the process of reviewing them, but I can assure you they're extremely sloppily controlled. So the tests for identity of the output are not sufficient. Um, the tests for impurities are not sufficient. Whatever Pfizer says, the impurity level is actually, when, when people do actual tests from vials, completely wrong. There's things that are not supposed to be there that are found and things that are supposed to be there that are not found. Um, so, but that all became later. Like at the beginning, I was, I only had various data to go by. So, which is adverse mm -hmm. event tests when people take certain batch 
of the vaccine, we have this number, and then with this batch, we have this number. Uh, and they are so far apart that there is no physical variability of, you know, let's say older people, younger people, different geography, uh, things of that nature, or temperature control. Uh, they could not explain that. Uh, and we did. But one of the, I think we've lost, can you hear me? Sasha, I think your microphone is is uh, off. It just went off. There you go. Yeah, I can hear you. Yes. So, but one of the things you did is that you took that VARES analysis that you had that was limited at the time. Later, it, it enlarged because you received. Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that. I mean, there were emails that were leaked out of the the, uh, the European Medical Agency um, connected to Pfizer. But at the very beginning, you compared those the VARES injuries with the lots, and then you compared the the built a chart. Mm -hmm. that compared to the flu ad adverse mm -hmm. injuries that was basically bunched together as a flat line. But mm -hmm. then when you overlap that with what you were finding on the VAERS, tell us about that, the two comparisons. Yeah, that was because I had very little information about uh, Pfizer vaccine manufacturing or lot sizes or you know how it's supposed to look like. So I said, okay, well, we have a historical comparator, which is flu vaccines. Uh, they're, they're given um, to about 50% of U.S. population annually, which is a very large number. Uh, and for approximately similar conditions. Your, your, micro, your microphone automatically went off again. Go ahead. Okay, sorry. That's all right. That's uh, and uh, and so I said, well, let's look how, how that's supposed to look. And yes, so the lot... Um, Although there are nine or 10 manufacturers of flu vaccines, they're both large and small. So they produce large and small lot numbers. And uh, there's a variety of different types of flu vaccines, um, but all of them looked very, very consistent. So they, as, as it's supposed to look like. So each batch that they, they form, like these dots form a straight line across because they're not very different from each other. And they're all very much close to zero, zero adverse events and deaths. So the, the, the maximum number we ever found was something like 37 uh, serious adverse events per lot. And maybe the maximum for deaths was like two per lot. So uh, what, did you find, what did you find for, for specifically for the Pfizer batch? And so Pfizer, we found uh, lots with thousands of serious adverse events and a couple of hundred deaths. And that's that's unacceptable, completely unacceptable. At the at the at the normal standards of the of the pharma industry and the clinical trials. Yeah, and, and and people who are who are naive about it, they say, well, but it's you know millions and millions of doses are being administered. They don't understand. It doesn't matter from the regulatory standpoint. It doesn't matter how many doses you administered. If you have something like fifty deaths reported, the entire product gets taken off the market. It could be billions of doses. Nobody and this is, this is not just in a batch, but cumulatively, when you, yeah. I mean, that, that is, just, that's the, what you found yeah. in maybe one batch, but yeah. cumulatively through these batches, you, it's been explosive. Now, did, did your analysis include uh, Pfizer in, in other countries? Uh, yes, um, although that's harder to do, but VAERS uh, now contains uh, data from other countries. Mostly, we understand it's from the European Union and from the UK, um, and only for Pfizer, Moderna, and Janssen. So there's no other manufacturers, like AstraZeneca is not included, for example. Okay, so, what, what, yeah. about, what about in Australia, and what, what about in Canada? I do not believe we get Canadian data or Australian data. They have their own tracking systems. Um, none of them are, uh, by the way, are tracking lot numbers. So VAERS is the only database that we ever had to look at this data. Um, so, uh, but we did, you know, we did review data from other places. I mean, they're, they're all consistent, huge numbers of adverse events, huge variability, um, just, you know this this unexplainable, but the variability immediately jumped out at me as a signal that these are not manufactured according to good manufacturing practices. So that would be considered under normal circumstances that would be immediately considered fraudulent, adulterated product. Uh, it's uh, against the law to introduce products like this in interstate commerce. In fact, the objective of the FDA and their regulatory mandate is not to force vaccines on people and promote them for the manufacturers, but to regulate interstate commerce. And that's how they, you know, write their regulations. And if you introduce a, a product like this and ship it across state lines, it's a huge crime. 
So let's talk about how much the FDA knows about this from leaked emails. Uh, yeah, so FDA and global regulators, they are perfectly aware of what's going on. They knew from the very beginning. Uh, it, it wasn't a secret that these products are hugely dangerous. FDA, in fact, uh, published um, uh, uh, regulatory guidance documents, uh, which they do to, to regulate the industry. They publish regulatory guidance documents where they explain expectations for manufacturers of certain types of products. And so for this particular gene therapy category that was always characterized, they published guidance since, uh, since um, 1998. So for a long, long time, it was very well understood that these are very dangerous products. Uh, they were uh, comparable in the risks to chemotherapy, uh, which is, you know, is an extremely toxic sure. uh, product for cancer, for terminal cancer. Um, <laughs> so they were always categorized in, at that level. Um, and uh, the most um, recent guidance that was full guidance that was published in 2013 and 2015, uh, FDA lists specifically all the, you know, risk of death, um, risk of uncontrollable expression of the proteins and cytokine storms that you can't, like one, after one injection, you can't stop it. Um, the Again, Sasha, your, your mic went off. <clears throat> It went off and you can't, you can't stop it. All right. So, so yeah, you can't stop the expression of proteins. Uh, it creates cytokine storms. Uh, it, uh, it can cause uh, cancer. It can cause uh, mutations, genetic um, abnormalities. Uh, so all sorts of very, very serious risks were, asset, were listed. And so for the manufacturer, it means you have to assess them and exclude them. So they knew, they knew. So, so, so let, let's just back up. So, so what you're saying is that the FDA knew about the mRNA because they had been earlier tested. Mm -hmm. And yep. so they knew that there were going to be side effects because they had been recognized scientifically under the regulations of the FDA in prior years. Mm -hmm. Um, it, within your research, you, you talk about a FOIA where 5% of the lots are associated with 90% of the adverse effects mm -hmm. so far in your analysis. Uh, that, that, no, that was the, um, that was earlier, like very early analysis that we did. Uh, and now we got a more uh, precise data on the loss because CDC also messes the data uh, purposefully so they they hide the data they don't publish reports they change the uh, reports to remove for example location change the lot numbers they they manipulate the data all the time uh and so initially when um, we were doesn't somebody have to tell them that they have to do that to intentionally defraud the public i mean is i mean that if you if you're going to change the information it seems to me that you're trying to cover your ass well, that's what they're doing, and we know uh, because I have a I have a whole I have a, a colleague whose only job and it's been you know months and months of digging is figuring out what was changed and what was altered and and so he identified specific writers on these reports. So there are specific medical writers with specific styles that he identified who are doing this, and he's like, well, these are not people who are submitting the reports. This is CDC. <laughs> So, so this is and this, so so the so if I am vaccinated by Pfizer and I submitted to VAERS and I put down my lot number because I got a receipt when I got a shot, mm -hmm. you're telling the public that in fact there's somebody in the inside of CDC changing my lot number. Yeah, they're changing lot numbers. Uh, they're clearly so. In reality, there are, um, as far as I know, for the for the U.S., approximately 700 lot numbers that uh, that were or, or lots that were released by CDC. Now they keep that information secret. Um, uh, the the we obtained that list. Uh, somebody sent it to us uh, anonymously. Probably somebody from CDC who wants to uh, speak. Uh, and uh, so they sent it to us anonymously. This list, and it's only 700 lot numbers total for all three manufacturers. Uh, and uh, uh, but if you go to theirs, you will see 30,000 lot numbers because they take them and alter them. And so that's why you have this phenomenon of vast majority of reports contain one or two, vast majority of yeah, um, lots contain one or two reports. And there's a small percentage that contains thousands of reports. Uh, and when you do median analysis or average analysis, you sh it shows uh, you know one or two reports per lot as median because of this. Right. Uh, but in reality, you have this 
huge number. And so once we were able to match the actual lot numbers, we know that they're real with manufacturing dates, expiration dates, and DC codes. Once we match them, we can uh, we can find, let's say, probably 50% of all VAERS reports, we can find them and match them to these lot numbers. The rest, we just, we don't know the lot numbers because they've been altered. Um, all so, right, so let, let me ask you this. Um, did you find that most of these 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 batches, these lots, I should use the word lots, mm -hmm. <laughs> that resulted in the injuries, were there was there a, a larger percentage of injuries at the beginning of the rollout in America, which started from December 2020? through the first half of 2021? Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, we found, uh, you know, all kinds of different variabilities, and this was one of them. So over time, at the early rollout, the lots were extremely, appeared extremely toxic. So they caused huge numbers of adverse events and deaths, and those were the ones distributed between December when they started rollout and... Uh, 2020 and then March, maybe late March 2021 um, in April. After March, April, it started dramatically declining the rate per lot. Uh, and it could be driven by multiple things, including that CDC suppresses this data and doesn't release it. So they'll they'll get the reports, but they sit on them for months uh, and don't release them. So we don't see them. Uh, also, there's been a huge campaign to suppress reporting, to punish doctors who report and you know, all that. So that obviously has impact. Um, but overall, uh, it looks like they were extremely toxic at the beginning of the rollout, and then they all pulled back. That's true for all three manufacturers. And correlating that to, to, to our uh, storytelling and interviews by people and reporting, we know that, in fact, most of the people that we interviewed early on in the first six months and then even into the fall of 2021, I would consider that the early rollout. Uh, in, in fact, a lot of them, especially in the early 2021 and, and latter part of uh, 20, December 2020, were healthcare workers because they were pushing them to get mm -hmm. their elderly who, who passed away because they were, they were pushing the elderly to get the shot. So this makes sense. Now in your research, and correct me if I read this, if, if I have this wrong, that um, apparently <laughs> there was almost an 8% higher rate of injuries in the first two quarters of 2021. Uh, yes, um, actually even higher than that. Um, so for first quarter 2021 it was a bloodbath. <laughs> It's it, it was really, really bad. Um, and most people are also dismissing it and saying, oh, it's because older people got injected and died. Well, as if it's okay, right? Right. And, uh, and second of all, it's not just old people. It was healthcare workers, younger ones. And we have huge rates of permanent disabilities. Uh, so, you know, maybe older people got killed by this toxic shot and then younger ones got permanently disabled this is not okay under any circumstances. So so from at that point in time, just with that little bit of information, your analysis is after 25 years in the business, overseeing clinical trials, knowing the regulations, knowing how the procedures are done, your conclusion is what? They should have taken this off the market? Absolutely, they should have taken They should have taken it off the market um, immediately when they saw these, these uh, adverse events and deaths. And FDA and CDC definitely saw them before anyone else did. Uh, Pfizer also definitely saw them because they issued uh, an internal pharmacovigilance report, which was then made available to public via FOIA. And that report came at the end of February, February 28, 2021. And that report showed already 1,200 deaths and then a few thousand unknown and, and uh, missing and not recovered, which means they could also be dead. Uh, but even 1,200 deaths by, by itself and the variety of severe adverse events that they had was for any ethical pharmaceutical manufacturer, it's a disease. Oh, your, your microphone, unfortunately, Sasha, I think just went on. Off, yeah, there, here, you, I think, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. 
Okay, so you were, it was a great statement you were talking about the lack of ethics. Go back and yeah. repeat that. So the, for the, standards. Yeah, so so for sta standard is if you see uh, even, you know, a, a couple, like dozen deaths, not, I'm not talking 1,200, a dozen deaths, you have to stop and at least recall the entire lot and investigate. Uh, they, did, did Pfizer do that at any time that you have so far no. from anything that you've seen? No, nobody ever. So it was very interesting. Um, I found a, a news article uh, in from January. Um, I think it was January of 2021. Uh, there was a, a recall of one lot of Moderna by uh, Orange County, California Health Department uh, because of excessive number of adverse events and deaths. And so, so the Orange County Department recalled one lot of Moderna. That same lot was being sold all over the United States until it ran out. I, I, I mean, okay. If so we have, if we have like salad with salmonella in 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 one county, it right. gets recalled all over the United States. And here we have they're recalling a lot in Orange County, and nobody cares. They continue selling it everywhere, and it produced thousands of adverse events and deaths. In those other states where it was being distributed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, in your in your documentation, you also say that uh, South Dakota, Kentucky mm -hmm. had a lot of adverse events. Mm -hmm. California and New York had some, but not as much as South Dakota and and Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Then yeah. you you compared the deaths with immediate and to delayed and the injuries by symptoms. Yes. So um, exactly. So there is a another type of variability. Uh, is by state. So that's what we noticed again. And all of these variabilities, they indicate that formulations are different. It's not because we have a tremendously different demographics in South Dakota versus California. Uh, so what we found is uh, in South Dakota, the rate of death after vaccination was 33 per 100,000 vaccinated. So I'm talking 100% vaccinated population. Um, so in South Dakota, 33 people per 100,000, uh, according to VAERS, are dying after vaccination. And all of these are hugely underreported in VAERS. You should multiply it in your head by at least 10 times. Uh, and in California, it's 1.5 or something like that. So my question is immediately, well, why? Um, California, in fact, has um, worse demographics in some ways. They have a, a huge numbers of you know poor, um, homeless, drug addicted people. Uh, I mean, th there isn't really a big difference in terms of age distributions. Um, and why is South Dakota getting decimated like this? Um, same for Kentucky. Kentucky is the number two now in terms of deaths. Um, it's something like 24 to 27 per 100,000. Uh, and New York is also 1.3 or 1.6. Something like this. So why, again, why do you think that is? Because I know historically in some of the fraud that's been out there when they, these are called hot vials, damaged mm -hmm. vials, impure vials. Sometimes they'll distribute it in clusters. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll distribute it just to, historically, just to one area or something like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there was an intention to spread this out into certain areas? I mean, did, did these people know? that they weren't following the regulations and what you call the good manufacturing practices, which is the standard. I mean, there's there's definitions. There's a booklet from the FDA. Do you think it was intentional oh, yeah. they had to know at the manufacturing level with no oversight? I, I, they, they must know it. They're professionals. They, they must know what they're doing. I, there, there's no way for them to excuse it with some sort of, Oh, you know, we didn't notice, or we didn't know, or this was such a novel technology, or it's not novel for them. Uh, there, are, and also the regulatory practices are agnostic, uh, or or laws and regulations. They're essentially agnostic. It doesn't matter if you have new technology or old technology. You still have to show inputs, outputs, impurities, standards, all that. I mean, it's it's it doesn't matter what technology is. So how do we how do we get the evidence that they knew at the manufacturing level? Do they have to put reports as they at the manufacturing level and deposit them with the FDA, FDA or with Pfizer? Who has those documents? Yes. Yeah, so there is a document. There's a part of um, uh, application that the pharmaceutical manufacturer makes, and in this case, it's a biologics license application. 
that Pfizer made with FDA. And Pfizer also made it with EMA, which is European Medicines Agency. So we know for 100% fact that they were not good manufacturing practice compliant when they were approved to ship on the market in Europe and in the US. We okay. know that because- Hold on, Sasha, repeat that again. Slow down a minute because I don't want people to miss that. Right, so we know for absolute fact, uh, based on the regulatory documents that Pfizer submitted to EMA and FDA, that at the time that they got authorization to ship this product uh, in late November, early December 2020, uh, both in the US and Europe, they were not good manufacturing practice compliant. This was recorded by EMA, European Medicines Agency reviewers. So when the manufacturer submits their manufacturing information, that's a separate section of their application. So they submitted it. Uh, it was incomplete. Uh, it, was compl- it was missing major pieces of information. And reviewers wrote several formal objections. So the reviewers write up uh, like an audit summary and saying, you know, these are things that are wrong. And there were three major objections, which is even one is a showstopper. You have to stop and fix it before anything can proceed. So they wrote three. One was Pfizer is not good manufacturing practice compliant. And <laughs> and so this is by the European the European Medical European Medicine Agency plus plus the FDA. So so this should be a red flag to mm-hmm. any country any foreign country in the world who has a contract with Pfizer, they need to know that the FDA, which used to be the gold standard you know, across mm-hmm. the world, has now breached its own standards of good manufacturing practices. Yes, in fact- And it's known uh, by the Europeans. So if Australia, Uruguay, Argentina, and God knows they're looking to, to, to go to Africa, across the continent of Africa, because they have less vaccinations than most parts of the world right now. No one should be buying this product because the regulatory agencies in Europe and in the U.S. know that they did not that they that they are in violation of the very regulations that should be watching this. Yeah, uh, and in addition to that, we recently um, and I, I sent you that the contract from Pfizer. We recently learned uh, through Pfizer's attempts to dismiss um, Brooke Jackson's case um false claims act Let, let's let's just establish because some people in the united states don't know who brooke, brooke jackson's is brooke jackson's is, is a woman who lives here in the united states who had a job 20 20 25 years in the business overseeing clinical trials she saw early on over a course of 18 days in 2020 that uh, pfizer was not following the regulatory and she went up the ladder and tried to get somebody to do something about it and when she reported to the fda pfizer fired her the next day or the same day. I can't remember if it's the next day or the same day. So she has a lawsuit going on. So she's actually mirrors what you know, not having been hired by Pfizer, you had been hired by Pfizer in the past, but not working on the COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's interesting that Brooke Jackson got she's, she's basically, I mean, what you found in your analysis, she saw mm-hmm. firsthand on the job. Yeah. So she saw fraud in clinical trial that they were committing fraud in clinical trial uh, and for, and calling the sites and uh, asking them to change information about the patients and dismissing patients who had um, severe adverse events and uh, you know um, you know all kinds of all kinds of fraudulent activities to manipulate the data and that's what she reported to the FDA which is a confidential report mm-hmm. and it was interesting that it's a, a confidential report to the FDA who's supposed to oversee and regulate Pfizer about Pfizer's fraudulent activity. Next day, Pfizer knows about it and fires her. Sure, you, you, the messenger can't bring, you know, can't cannot bring a, a bad piece of information to to the king who's, who's butt naked. That's mm-hmm. that that's what's going on here. It's it's you know, <clears throat> it took me a while to figure out mm-hmm. why the suppression of everything, and I've come to the conclusion is because they didn't want the early treatments because they wanted to stay say that Vax was the only answer. Mm-hmm. They wanted to suppress anybody who challenged the messenger, Fauci's, Fauci's lies. Mm-hmm. They wanted to suppress uh, any anything that would cause Vax hesitancy. Mm-hmm. They wanted to get this rolled out no matter what, mm-hmm. and it was profits over people. 
yeah uh, yeah absolutely so but just to finish off on the good manufacturing practices now we have definitive even more definitive proof than the regulatory documents pfizer submitted motion to dismiss brooke jackson's case mm -hmm. stating that they were under no obligation to follow good manufacturing practices in fact and yes it's true and and the contract which i forwarded to you yesterday is now public it does it, it says that Pfizer received 1.9 billion dollars from US government right and the scope of work was large scale manufacturing demonstration so, so we 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 have the largest unregulated mm -hmm. largest unregulated unaccountable demonstration quote, experiment demonstration i guess mm -hmm. we're demonstrating it's a demonstration mm -hmm. Yeah, for all so billion no, dollars. Yeah, so there's no good manufacturing practice compliance. None is expected. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, FDA is in full collusion with them and and guiding them, in fact, in this fraud because no private manufacturer is allowed to do these kinds of things. Only if FDA allows you, then 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 you can do that. So let's talk about the um, the leaks. Mm -hmm. Those were very about the leaks. These are these are these are somebody's out there. We got a WikiLeaks person. We've got you know mm -hmm. uh, somebody working this on the inside who went into the emergent the European medical agency, got mm -hmm. some Pfizer uh, emails, and you know what? I, I don't particularly like that kind of stuff, but at this point in time, people are dying, and I think it's perfectly fine from a moral and ethical point of view. Let's mm -hmm. talk about those emails. What did those emails tell you as, as somebody who's an expert? Yeah, so the emails came all from uh, late November, like November 22nd to 25th, around time frame 2020. So right before they were um, authorizing these shots uh, in, uh, in Europe. And uh, they are exchanges of emails between, uh, mostly between European Medicines Agency employees, high level, very high level, uh, the ones who were overseeing this, and some lower level staff. And uh, they also mention FDA and uh, UK regulatory agency, MHRA. And what, are those, uh, what did those emails tell you in terms of the, the exchanges and the acknowledgments of what was going on in the inside? Yeah, so they, are, they, they demonstrate a huge amount of pressure um, high, from high, high levels of politicians, including European commissioner, um, to uh, and Trump administration and um, uh, yeah, so HHS, uh, Alex Azar uh, at the time, um, the European commissioner, all high levels, huge amount of political pressure to approve the product on a certain date. What was, they, the, what was the date? Do you remember? They wanted it, they wanted it before Christmas. Um, and I, I believe they actually did that in the UK. I think they, they, administered first shots something like december 12th or something and and uh, in the u.s it was it was december yeah and the u.s was also december so they 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 were absolutely pressuring everybody um and when you say, when you say they is it pfizer or the politicians who politicians were, politicians, politicians it was, yeah it was that. coming from the politicians but pfizer was also mentioned um their ceo was mentioned lobbying peter marks which is uh, head of CBER uh, or Center for Biologics. Uh, for Center well, Peter, for Biologics. A, there is a Peter Marks who is at the FDA today. The, yes, yes. So, so, so uh, the CEO at, the, at that point in time, was he at the FDA? Yes, he was at the same position at the FDA uh, as today. And uh, the emails mentioned that um, Pfizer CEO was going and lobbying him and actually lying to him uh, about timelines um, to to even make it faster. Um, you know, so, um, so this, yeah. so, so, so the bottom mm -hmm. line is that we, we, ha we have, we have a CEO of a public company, mm -hmm. uh, pressuring the guy on the inside of the FDA, mm -hmm. Dr. Peter Marks, mm -hmm. who, who's, I don't know the full, I, his, his name has come up because I've tried to get an interview with him, mm -hmm. um, because I know he's talking to the Vax injured and mm -hmm. he's had, he's had people on his staff meet with them on, um, zoom calls. But Peter Marks is key at the FDA. So we have, we have a, we've got this CEO pressuring the guy on the inside of the FDA to push mm -hmm. along the paperwork and to give it its stamp of approval. 
knowing mm -hmm. that people within Pfizer mm -hmm. know that this isn't re this isn't ready to be released. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so also, uh, so that was the high level officials e emails and uh, from, uh, from the European commission and from, you know, the, the mentions of the FDA and so forth, but there were also emails between lower level staff and uh, those emails specifically bring up. When you, uh, pardon me for a second, when you say lower level staff, where? At the European medicines agency. Go on. Uh, and those are reviewers and people on the team who are supposed to read the documents and write the the you know write up their review. Uh, and uh, they were mentioning uh, several very very important problems, including these major objections that I mentioned before, uh, such as no lack of uh, good manufacturing practices. The second one was even scarier than that. So the second objection, major objection that they wrote up, and they were exchanging emails, being concerned about it was that uh, Pfizer's integrity of um, active ingredient, their mRNA molecule, uh, was not uh, okay. It, they, they, um, Pfizer apparently uh, made change in manufacturing between their small-scale manufacturing when they were doing clinical trials and large-scale production when they were about to ship the product uh, across the world. And that change resulted in a very, very significant reduction in the integrity of this molecule. So if you... Um, and you and know, my understanding from your research, uh, from, the, from the standards, when you change something, you have to go, you're supposed to go through all the safety steps of, of, of what are those, I've got them in my notes here, the identity, the quantity, the quality, purity, and potency. So that's mm -hmm. for every element when you make a change. And I didn't know this until I read your research, that there's different types of mRNA that Pfizer put into their quote unquote product. And, right. and there was no protocols that were filed according to, again, mm -hmm. according to regulations. So basically, you don't know whether you're making a chocolate cake or brownies at this point in time. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's worse than that. So. So they are, um, they were using, there are actually two issues. So uh, they were using different versions of this mRNA throughout clinical trial, preclinical, clinical, late stage clinical, and then on market. Um, so they were using different versions of mRNA. mRNA, you can think of it as a piece of code. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so string contains certain letters. Um, and then that string gets wrapped up into this lipid bubble and that's what that's what gets injected into people now that string first of all if it's if it's supposed to say abc it's supposed to say abc 100 of the time in all molecules that you have in the in the injection right so what the regulators were saying well it says abc only 50 percent of the time like 50 percent of those bubbles and then the other 50 percent of the bubbles we have gibberish we don't understand what it is and that's the integrity of the molecule uh and then they also were using different versions, which means it's, it wasn't even ABC all the time. It was XYZ, it was one, two, three, it was, you know, so, uh, but that was a major concern that they brought up and they said, we don't know what the implication on safety and efficacy, how this is gonna play out in people. You have to do a bridging, bridging study, bridging study, meaning you have to do an additional clinical trial showing us that, you know, the, the earlier process and the new process produce the same results for safety and efficacy. So when Fauci's out there and the CEO and everybody's out there, Brooks out there, everybody's saying these are safe and effective, mm -hmm. and they should have said not they're safe and effective, but not for everybody. They oh, should yeah. also disclose to the public if it's a if you ask if you so choose to take a Pfizer shot versus a Moderna shot mm -hmm. versus J and J here in America, know that there's a multiple strains of Pfizer because we're changing the product. So mm -hmm. when they're selling the public mm -hmm. a product that has variants in it under the banner of Pfizer, mm -hmm. that no longer is it is a definition of informed consent. Oh, absolutely. Nobody, in fact, nobody, it's not possible to give informed consent for this product, even today. We do not have information still lacking major major parts of information that would allow informed consent so not a single person ever who got injected with these products received informed consent um it's just not possible uh, so then within the documents um mm -hmm. and then in the non-clinical development program 
We did not find any safety signals because we did not look for them. <laughs> that is what Pfizer actually put into a document. No, no, that's that was my summary. <laughs> that's your summary. All right. So you, yeah, you yeah. guys didn't look for them, but but the safety standards are not normal. No, yeah. So so they did a total sham of this um uh, this part of the testing which is very very critical uh which is uh it's called preclinical testing because it, it must be completed in animals and cell lines before um, the product is de-risked enough we know enough about safety and efficacy that we're assured that we're not going to harm human uh subjects in clinical trials so that's why by regulation these these studies are supposed to done in animals before you start uh, human clinical trials. In this case, it was reversed. Uh, they started right away in humans, and then they sort of collected a bunch of material and called it preclinical testing and added it on later. And that's what I reviewed. So let's so, let's talk let's talk about the prior animal studies of mRNA, which, which mm -hmm. is gene therapy. Let's yes, go, because this has explained to the audience. This has been done in the past. Oh, yeah. Pre-COVID. And what were those findings at the time? Uh, so this uh, this was in development, this class of product, mRNA, was in development for, well, at least 20 years. Um, and nothing really succeeded to the market with um, exception of one product, which is a very different type. It's a small, very small piece of mRNA code for a severe genetic condition. Um, uh, so nothing else ever made it to the market and they tried various things, uh, treatments and, and then later vaccines, or they called them rather therapeutic vaccines. Uh, and, uh, those were typically for very severe things like major genetic disorders, um, severe cancer, um, uh, Huntington's disease, which is very terminal, severe diseases with no options. And so this kind of toxic product is typically considered okay if you're if you're giving it to a ter terminal patient and that's their last hope for something right um so that's what that's what there was their like space um for development and even in that space where the safety bar is fairly low um risk is you know high uh and understood uh they kept failing because they would have and especially in the vaccine type applications they would have uh what's called vaccine induced um antibody enhancement which means that in it, there was demonstrated in several animal studies that were published that they would, you know, vaccinate the animals. Um, they would measure antibody levels in the blood and say, oh, great, they're protected. Uh, but which is not really, it's a theoretical protection. Uh, and, uh, and then they expose them to wild type virus in the future. And the animals, animals develop huge overreaction to the, to the disease. They have much more severe disease than otherwise would be. And they die. All right. So let's 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 put that in layman's terms. So what we're basically saying now is, if it, they they knew in these prior studies, and how many years back did they do those animal studies go for mRNA pre-COVID? I saw the ones from 2008, 9, 10 time frame. Yeah. All right. So so they they know from going for the mice and the rats and the monkeys, whoever they're experimenting these on, mm -hmm. that they 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 give them the vaccinations. Mm -hmm they and then it enhances which means that they're more susceptible their immune systems are down they're more susceptible to several different types of diseases and they die mm -hmm. so they did they do the animal studies for the covid shots with pfizer because i want to just want to stick to pfizer today mm -hmm. on this program. yes so when i reviewed it and that's what i i immediately flagged vast majority of the studies that were included in this package for their community approval, uh, in fact, were testing irrelevant substances. So it wasn't BNT162, uh, whatever they declare their mRNA product. It wasn't at all. It was. So it let's was, talk about those monkeys. These are uh, rurious. I don't know how to pronounce it. Rurious uh, monkeys. Rhesus, yeah, okay. And these monkeys don't, they're not susceptible to the COVID. To COVID. Yes. Yes, and they tested it on them, so they, they didn't have the enhanced inducement for more disease. So yeah. it was reverse of what they should have done. Well, exactly. So that that particular experiment, they actually did give them the test article uh, that the, what eventually became community, 
However, rhesus monkeys don't get sick from COVID right. or, or from this particular SARS-CoV-2 virus. They, they didn't develop illness. So they have two groups of monkeys. One received vaccine, one didn't. Then they expose them to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. They actually sprayed it directly into their nose and throats. So, you know, it wasn't like they didn't get infections. They, they measured the replicating virus in their uh, airways, but not none of the monkeys got sick, not the vaccinated, not the unvaccinated. And then Pfizer writes in their summary that, oh, you know, well, this particular animal model is not appropriate for the disease model because they don't get sick. And then they claim that, oh, we don't have uh, vaccine-induced enhancement. Well, if you don't have disease, then you can never assess whether you have vaccine-induced enhancement of the disease or not. Do you think that was intentional? Oh, yeah, yeah, they knew. They knew that if they, if they chose a model that does, like the cats and ferrets, for example, uh, uh, do get sick, mice also, uh, and if they chose that, then they would show enhancement, and that would be uh, a, you know a negative and they didn't want that um and so they they just did this sort of substitution right slay of hand um and the the important part is that the regulators who are uh i mean they're they're not born yesterday uh, so this is all very obvious uh so the regulators are professionals and they didn't object to this at all so um that to me just says again collusion collusion with the regulator regulator leading this fraud uh, because they're accepting this kind of nonsense. Um, and then they also accepted the nonsense of Pfizer not testing their mRNA in toxicology studies at all. So that Pfizer waived their uh, major, like about 80% of major required safety studies, Pfizer waived for themselves and they said they don't apply to us. And based on what was their, what was their justification for that? Uh, they said, oh, it's because uh, WHO guidelines for vaccines from 2005. That refers to traditional vaccines. Right. They, so vaccines because, but it doesn't <laughs> apply to this because the the WHO 2005 guidelines are traditional where this is actually a gene therapy and they changed yeah. the definition of vaccinations to include gene therapy in early 2021 or 2020, I guess it was. Exactly. So, so these those those guidelines. Well, first of all, WHO doesn't regulate interstate commerce in the United States. Not their job. Could right. shouldn't be even mentioned. It's a guidelines. It's it's it's, it's, it's what's the terminology? It's an only an advisory and coordinating non-government body. Period. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's from 2005. Doesn't apply to this category at all. So all of this is this is just like childish stuff, right? And they just write it all up and they say, well, therefore this 80% of safety testing that is expected from this category doesn't apply. And FDA has no problem. I mean, it's a miracle. So does this fall under P Dr. Peter Marks at uh, FDA? Yes. yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, so, so Dr. Peter Marks, uh, mm -hmm. this falls under him. He's approving it. Who does he report to? Uh, Janet Woodcock, as far as I understand. Um, uh, she's a commissioner of the FDA. I, you know, I, I believe she's his boss. I checked lately. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's a, that's within his purview. Um, and uh, the, also Pfizer then in toxicology studies that they did do, did not test their active substance. They replaced the active substance uh, of their vaccine with irrelevant substance. It was a mRNA coding for luciferase, which is a protein that fireflies make. Um, it has nothing to do with SARS-CoV-2 or COVID illness or anything. It's just a research tool. Um, and they replaced it with that luciferase and they did studies um, showing that it distributes, well, it did show that it distributes all over the body into organs where it's not supposed to be, into, goes into ovaries, liver, spleen, adrenal glands, um, lymph nodes, um, all of these things just end up there. But then the next question is, once it gets there, what happens when the spike protein is expressed there, which they avoided showing because they replaced it with the luciferase? So did they, did in, in any of this, <clears throat> is there anything good that you have found that Pfizer did from your decades long experience. I mean, the fact that you have worked in, in consulted with and overseen clinical trials for decades with, you know, 60 pharmaceutical companies, this is not like, 
you know, you're new to the game and you're five years on the job. All right. You, you've been all over the globe and, and, and overseeing these clinical trials. Is there anything good that Pfizer has done? I can't think of anything. I, I, when I read that, when I, when I read those documents, when I saw what they did, when I saw what regulators did, I was shocked to the core. I've never seen anything like this. And people need to understand that, you know, people are saying, well, FDA is always corrupt and big pharma is always corrupt. Right. You know, there are, I, I've worked in the industry. There were certainly instances of uh, untoward behavior and ethical behavior, especially on the marketing side. I worked with a lot of R&D professionals. I have never seen anything like this. Even even one percent of this would get people fired on the spot. Um, I, this is shocking, shocking breakdown. Like you need to understand that something happened really, really bad, really recently. Um, and uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, Pfizer and FDA seem to have merged into one entity and CDC also. Um, and uh, they both uh, enable this fraud and then promote these products directly uh, as if they're sales force for Pfizer. Um, and that's that's incredibly shocking uh, in violation of all the all their mandate, the regulations, the laws, ethical principles, everything. It's 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 hugely. And, hugely and, the, Biden, and the Biden administration is still pushing. Yes. Yes, they're pushing it and and uh, keep um, trying to uh, force through mandates. Although I think the the, the resistance <laughs> have been successful in stopping the most egregious uh, forms of it and stopping mandates in schools and stopping mandates at the workplace. But there's still you know so many people got coerced into this. Um, large you know over. The 60% of US population got coerced into this with catastrophic consequences. We have over 30,000 um, deaths in VAERS, which you have to at least multiply by 10. Um, and uh, we have uh, close to 2 million adverse events. And uh, that's just for the US. Uh, and you multiply that by 10 too. And you also multiply that by 10. Yes, we have. Uh, that's clearly already shown in all cause mortality, in the, in the insurance companies' claims, payments in everything and now the you know deaths uh, sudden unexpected deaths from coincidence is the leading cause of death today uh for young people especially so and and and, and i i'm shocked that so many people still don't recognize this as a major major crime committed on american public sasha ladapova uh, we are honored to be collaborating with you and to continue the reporting on this um, I, I, I think it's, it's extraordinary that um, you have come out publicly and you've shared this information with us. We know that we're going to have you back next week um, and we're going to be, you know, taking a deep dive, either a continuation of Pfizer is this, or we're going to take a deep dive in the Moderna, but we're going to continue to take a deep dive over and over again um, because it's, it's, uh, People need to know that this needs to be taken off the shelf and people need to be exposed. And we're going to start naming names and we're going to start exposing the information and the documentation and get it out to the public. It's hard for some people who are not in, you know, who are laymen who don't understand the terminology and the, and the intricacy of the, the scientific definitions as you do. But at the same time, you know, our job as journalists is to pull the information out of view so that people can get more educated about it and more people can speak out. And hopefully some of those whistleblowers who are still on the inside that I have been talking to will in fact step out of the gate and, you know, come forward and really educate and, and talk to the people on Capitol Hill because something is really wrong with this picture. If somebody was given the green light on a corporate level and a CEO is actually actually pressuring somebody on the inside of FDA. Mm -hmm. That's that that's where it comes down to. It's profit over people. You have the last word, and we have about um, fifty seconds left. So, anything else you want to say about Pfizer? Well, uh, nobody should ever trust them again. Uh, I I don't care what comes out. Uh, next from them, what kind of treatment uh, or anything, given this information, nobody should be taking their products. And any physician who is ethical 
and prescribing these things, please think again. Um, because what we know, Pfizer is incredibly criminal, it violates all regulations for safe manufacturing of these products and ethical manufacturing. And they need to be stopped. They need to be investigated. But in the meantime, everyone should be aware and stop using them, stop using their products. Sasha Latipova, thank you. God bless you for sharing all this information. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much.